Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word that speaks to us. It is alive. And Lord, we pray that today you would make us alive to your word, that we might not only receive it, hear it, but that we might apply it to our lives and move forward in faith. And so, Father, here we are, and we ask you to speak to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes I wait till the end to tell you kind of the punchline or the premise of the message, what lies behind it. This morning, I want to reverse that and tell you up front what it is that I want to tell you. And hopefully by the end of the message, I would have actually told you. And so here is the premise for the message this morning. You should not join Grace Fellowship because it is a perfect church, but because membership in a local church is part of God's perfect plan for his people. Notice that. Crafted purposefully to say that we are not perfect as a church and that you shouldn't join us because you think we're a perfect church. In fact, if you do find a perfect church, let me encourage you not to join it because you're liable to mess it up. But that it is part of God's perfect plan for believers to be connected in a local church. When you came in this morning, you were handed a puzzle piece. Does everyone have one of these? Now, now here's the deal. Every week between, for, between now and the end of next year, you'll be getting a puzzle piece. So if you ever miss a Sunday, your picture won't be complete. No, that's not actually why you received it. I want you to take a moment to look at this puzzle piece that you have in front of you. Yours is distinct from the person sitting next to you and from the person sitting across the room. There are different shapes with different protrusions and intrusions, different colors. Mine is, mine is blue. Yours may be red or yellow. But here's the thing about each of these puzzle pieces. Even though they are distinct, very much different in many ways, on the puzzle itself, they are a perfect fit. And without your piece, the picture is incomplete. Now, if you will, I want to tie in this puzzle piece with my premise. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to hang on to this puzzle piece. Don't leave it here when you leave today. And we'll refer back to this in just a moment. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to the book of Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at just couple of three verses here Romans chapter 12 verses 4 through 8 hear the word of the Lord just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function so in Christ we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us if your gift is prophesying then prophesy in accordance with your faith if it is serving then serve if it is teaching then teach if it is to encourage then give encouragement if it is giving then give generously if it is to lead then do so diligently if it is to show mercy do it cheerfully I cannot tell you how many people come to me and say pastor I'm looking for God's will for my life. Now the first thing I want to do is to commend them because they do have a passion to know God's will for their lives. But the second thing that I want to do is to remind them that they're not in this alone. 
that it is not about being a lone ranger kind of Christian. I'm old enough to remember this TV show, picture you have there, the lone ranger riding on silver. That is not the model for believers. It does reflect the rugged individualism of our American culture and especially our American West, but it does not reflect a biblical view of what God has called you and I to be. When God saves us, he does do that individually. Each of us must come to faith on our own. We don't get to heaven based on our parents' faith, our grandparents' faith, our brother or sister's faith, our children or grandchildren's faith. You and I come to faith individually as as believers in Jesus Christ. But when we do come to Christ, we are brought into a family. We are brought into the body of Christ. His will for us is not to be disconnected from His church. His will for us is to be connected with His people and with His mission. And so don't go off thinking, okay, I'm the Lone Ranger. I'm out here riding on my own. It's just me and God against the world. Because that's not the way God designed it. Now, when the Bible talks about our being together, amazingly, the Apostle Paul doesn't use a puzzle. He uses a different picture, which we have seen. He uses a picture of the human body. It is something that was readily available. I'm not sure that Paul had the ability to go down to Walmart and to pick up a puzzle and to give it to people in the church. And so he used something that was readily available, something that they could see day in and day out, and that is a human body. And he says a human body, it's made up of many different parts, and these different parts do different things, but they form one body. Now, we understand that. We can get that. But there was something that, until a few years ago, never dawned on me as I read Romans chapter 12, but is extremely powerful. And it was, in this verse, this is what Paul says, each member belongs to all the others. Now that rocked my world. I knew that as a believer in Jesus Christ, I belong to God. He paid the price for my sins. He redeemed me. I am his. I understood that. I had no problem with that. Had a hard time living it, but didn't have a problem accepting it. Now here what I'm encountering is that I just don't belong to me and God. Now I belong to you too. And if that's what it said is, pastors, you belong to your people, then I could walk away going, well, okay, God. But that's not what it says. It says that each member of the body of Christ belongs not only to Christ, but belongs to all the others. We are interconnected. We are interdependent on one another. We are not independent contractors. Just happen to be working on the kingdom together. We are vitally connected to one another as part of God's plan. Now, Grace Fellowship may not be a perfect church in that the sermons are not always, you know, humorous or inspiring. The music may not always be absolutely on key or on time. There may never be 
a, a time where we have a, a, a bulletin or, or slides that there isn't some misspelling or, or something wrong in there. I'm not saying Grace Fellowship is a perfect church because we have it all together. But the local church, as an expression of the greater body of Christ, is God's perfect plan for every believer. Back in 2005, a book came out by Steve McCraney entitled, Love Jesus, Hate Church. One of his major points was that people who call themselves Christian are bailing out of church left and right. He says... During the past 10 years, approximately 50 million Christians left the church. In fact, the percentage of American adults who attend religious services has dropped from 49% to less than 32%. In addition, according to a USA Today Gallup poll, it reported that almost half of Americans seem to be alienated from any form of organized religion whatsoever. And so the thing is a pastor... And as elders, we have to wrestle with and really ask ourselves, when you see statistics like this, is the age of the organized church over? Is membership in a, in a church no longer I- important? And as I consider those questions, this is where I come down. And this is, I want to argue this case, that God calls every believer to connect to and commit to a local body of believers called the church the church is important where do i get that from i get it from jesus himself who said i will build my church i get it from the apostle paul who added christ loved the church and gave himself for her it is obvious that the church is important to jesus it is obvious that the church is important in scripture but what is this church You say, oh, well, the church is just everybody who believes, and that's true. There is a universal church that is made up of all believers from everywhere and all times. We together form the church. But if you read the New Testament, and I want to encourage you to do so if you don't, what you encounter there is not simply a larger expression of a greater body of Christ, but local churches in cities, in regions, to the church in Galatia, the church of Pergamum, the the church of Corinth. Believers who come together, committed to Christ, committed to the calling, to the commission, but also committed to each other. And these churches were brought together under the leadership of, of godly leaders who helped them to go where God wanted them to go. Now, if we... If we go back and we look up the Greek, the, the word for church in the Greek is ekklesia. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is not to try to impress you with my Greek knowledge, which unfortunately is more limited than it used to be. But I want you to understand this term because this is important as we think about the church. The term ekklesia, if, in using its secular means outside the church, it basically was in a, in a town or community, a town crier would go out And he would call the people out of their homes to assemble. In other words, that word also means assembly. When we bring it over into the church, what we discover about the ecclesia of the church, this assembly, is that the church is a gathering of people who have been called by God to come together. 
to leave where they are to come together. But is membership in such an assembly important? Is it something that is vital for us? When I was in seminary and we had to study preaching, did you know you had to do that? We did. We had to study preaching. And one of the things that we would do is we would read the sermons of great preachers. Charles Spurgeon was considered the prince of preachers. And although I never heard Charles Spurgeon, not quite that old, I've read a lot of stuff that he wrote. I read a lot of his sermons. And he is. He is a he was gifted to be able to craft words and to, to shape words together so that they communicated very powerfully. But they also communicated very pointedly. And when he was writing about being what the local church means, this, this is what he said in one of his sermons. There is a brick. What is it made for? To help build a house. It is of no use for that brick to tell you that he's just as good at a brick while he's kicking about on the ground as he would be in the house. It is a good-for-nothing brick. So you rolling stone Christians, I do not believe that you're answering your purpose. You're living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are very much to blame for the injury you do. And I read that, and I said, wow, <laughs> that's, that's pretty pointed. I mean, that's more pointed than a, than a whole pack of porcupines. I mean, that is, Wow. Strong words. Should we take church membership that seriously? That we are not fulfilling our purpose if we're not plugged in? And that in fact our lives may be doing harm to the kingdom's work if we see ourselves as Lone Ranger believers? Well, I'm going to leave that decision to you. But I do want to spend the rest of our time together showing you biblically the importance of membership in the church. First of all, what we can find as we look through the New Testament is that the New Testament assumes church membership. The New Testament assumes church membership. The concept of experiencing salvation without being a part of a local body of believers is not found in the New Testament. The concept of becoming a believer and just being kind of an independent contractor or a lone ranger, that is not found in Scriptures. When individuals repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, they were baptized and they became a part of the church family. Now let's trace it all the way back to the very genesis of the church. When the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, what we see here is that these people who heard the message were convicted of their sins. They repented, believed, and were baptized. And it says 3,000 were added to their number that day that's quite a revival but what did they do after that well i want you to notice because that's verse 41 if we pick up with verse 42 this is what we discover they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Did you notice what happened here? You had this mass influx into the church. They became believers, and then they connected. And it wasn't a casual connection. Everything changed. They became a part of the body of Christ. And this Jerusalem church, who probably didn't meet with 3,000, again, there were some who had to depart and go back to their own homes, but those who remained there in Jerusalem and formed the beginning of this Jerusalem church, their lives changed. They devoted themselves not only to learning the truth, but they also devoted themselves to one another. They came together, they ate together, they shared in one another's lives, they immediately connected with the body and committed to the body. Now we do have some intermittent instances of people believing and not immediately belonging, but that is a rare occasion. Let me give you one of those examples, just so you know I'm being fair. There's a story in the book of Acts about Philip who encounters an Ethiopian who's on their way back to Ethiopia. And in the process, this Ethiopian is reading from uh, the book of Isaiah, but he's not quite getting it. And so Philip goes up alongside him and says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And he says, well, I'm reading it, but I'm not quite getting it. And Philip took that moment to begin to explain to him about Jesus Christ. And this Ethiopian became a believer. And he was so excited about believing. You know, the first thing he wanted to do was get baptized. And so they pulled over and they found water on the side of the road. I don't know if it was a ditch or a pond. I don't know, a river, a stream, whatever it was. But they found water and he was immediately baptized. But you say, wait a minute. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He's out on the road. He's traveling. He didn't immediately become a part of a church. So doesn't that kind of knock the legs out from under your premise that it's important? Well, it would if that's where the story ended. But that's not where the story ends Because church tradition tells us that the first local church in Ethiopia was started by that Ethiopian who was converted on the road. What happened? He immediately went, called others to faith in Christ, and they connected together as a local body of believers. We are not called to be a loose-knit connection of individual parts but a commitment of believers to the Lord, to His mission, and to one another. And so the New Testament assumes church membership. But that's not all. Secondly, the New Testament calls for church government. The New Testament sets out a pattern for how churches are to relate to one another. Much of the New Testament is concerned with the function of The church, the mission of the church and carrying it out. The Apostle Paul, when he writes his letters, he's writing them primarily to specific churches in regions or in cities. And in doing so, he says, let me tell you how to set things up so that your church can be somewhat organized, so it's not chaotic, so that you have some structure to it. And what he said was that godly men were to be set apart in order to shepherd God's people. And to these men, he gave instructions. Paul instructed, for instance, the Ephesian elders, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And the church was to honor those who were leading them. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. 
Also, the elders were to be accountable to God for how they led the flock. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as one who must give account. In other words, what happens here, what we're seeing here, is that God is setting up in the local church a structure with leadership to help oversee, guide, shepherd the flock of God. Now, we could go on. God also established an office for deacons. Uh, there, are, or it, there are instructions on how we're to do uh, what the baptism and Lord's Supper mean. There are all kinds of instructions on how to govern or how to structure a church. And that so much time and attention in the New Testament is given over to the governance and structure of the local church helps to understand that the church is important. The church is important. Otherwise, there wouldn't be all this much of the New Testament taking up with how you, how you set it up. And so we have, first of all, that church membership is assumed. Secondly, that there are structures set up that it's important enough to have some guidelines, some governance. The third thing we note is that, boy, this is a tough one. The New Testament promotes church discipline. Hmm, how does all this tie in? Well, if we want to see the pattern of church discipline, we have to go all the way back to Jesus who set it up for us because I guess he knew we'd mess it up. Matthew chapter 18, we see there's kind of a four-step process that when church discipline is exercised, that it's supposed to be taken care of. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's good for us to know this. First of all, if a person who is, who is caught in, in sin, a person who is in this process or lifestyle of sinning, is first of all to be confronted privately. That is the first step, to see if you can go to them and say, hey, we're noticing this issue with you, and to try to lead that person to repentance. Now, if that, that person doesn't repent and they're wrong, then one or two other people are to be taken along in order to try to confirm this, to make sure this other person isn't just kind of you know, out in left field somewhere, and try to confirm this and then help lead that person to repentance. Now, if they come together and, it, and there's still no repentance, no change of heart here, no change of action, then the next step is to take it to the church. You bring it to the church. You, you bring it all out. There, you, know, you get a broader perspective and say, hey, here's, here's what's happening, and this person refuses to repent. Now, if after all that, now remember, this whole time you're not trying to embarrass anybody, you're trying to reconcile and bring them back into the life of the church. If after all this it doesn't work, Jesus said, then you just you put them out. You no longer associate with them. You put them out of the life of the church. Now, we look at that and we go, man, that's pretty tough stuff. There's reason it's tough because the church is important to Jesus Christ. The life, the body of the church is important to Jesus Christ. The local church is important to Jesus Christ. And it's important enough that there are measures taken to discipline, to have church discipline within the body. And church discipline only works if there are leaders committed to the members and members committed to the local church. Think about it. You can't, you can't have church discipline if there is no commitment to the local church that we don't honor together. And so again, once more, it is emphasizing the importance of membership in the church. The Bible's teaching on church discipline assumes church membership. For without it, church discipline is irrelevant. Now, what we've seen is, first of all, the New Testament assumes 
church membership. Secondly, the, the, the New Testament sets up governance structures within the local church. Thirdly, the, the New Testament promotes church discipline, which requires church membership. And the fourth thing we want to note is that the New, New Testament insists on mutual encouragement. Mutual encouragement. I want us to consider together Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that brings faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another daily, all the more as you see the day approaching. There's lots of things we could pull out of here, but let me just pull out very quickly three. First, did you notice how many times we and us and our are used? Kind of takes the, the whole guts out of this aspect of I'm just here as an individual just showing up on Sundays. It is important to note that we are not disconnected believers, but the body of Christ. We, our, us, we belong together. The second thing that I noticed here very quickly is that we're warned not to give up meeting together. Which is really fascinating to me because here you, you, have, you have a church in its infancy and already you're finding people checking out who are just wandering off. One of the things that the elders have to deal with and part of our elder shepherding is you know, seeking members who for whatever reason have disconnected, disengaged, and encouraging them to be part of the body of Christ. And if not, then encourage them to be a part of the body somewhere else. Because the worst thing for them and the worst things for their families is to be disconnected from the body. That is not the way God intended it. That is not what God wants for us. It's not part of God's perfect plan. And the third thing that we noted right there very quickly was that coming together is for mutual encouragement. Each part of the body, having been gifted by God and fulfilling its purpose, is an encouragement to the other members of the body. If that weren't enough, there are 59 verses in the New Testament that talk about one another, one another, one another, one another. We need each other. In fact, we belong not only to Jesus, but we belong to one another. I want to go slightly off my planned notes here to say something. If you've been a part of Grace Fellowship for very long, then one of the things that you've learned is that the more closely you're connected to the body the more the body is an encouragement to you some of the saddest things i've seen are people who are members of churches who are out on the periphery and something happens in their lives and nobody knows nobody knows what's going nobody knows they've been sick for a month nobody knows that that uh, they've had a death in the family. Nobody knows that they've had a diagnosis of cancer. And the reason nobody knows is not because the church doesn't care. It's because the person wasn't connected. 
It's really hard to know what's going on in someone's life if you're never connected to them. That's one of the reasons we put so much emphasis on our grace groups. We want you to be able to come together and to get to know each other and to love one another and to care about one another. Because i got to tell you, if you're waiting for Jimmy Long to be the one and only pastor in your life, to provide all the pastoral care for you, you're in a bad shape, I'm telling you. That's not the way God designed the body. Go back to Acts chapter 2. When people had needs, the body responded. Not the, the pastor, not the elder. The body responded. That's the way God designed it. And I want to encourage you with all my heart. If you are quasi-connected, if you are not intimately tied into the life of Grace Fellowship, then I want, to, I want to beg you with every fiber of my being, get connected. You need it. You don't want to be that brick outside the wall. You don't want to be that puzzle piece that never fits. This is not how God created you. This is not God's perfect plan for your life. Being intimately connected with the life of a local body of believers is. That's what God wants for you. Being a member of Grace Fellowship means that you believe, belong, and are becoming the person God has called you to be. Now, the local church gathers for worship, but it is so much more than that. In the local church, in the body of believers, you are encouraged and taught and supported and held accountable. And you have the divine privilege to encourage, support, teach, and challenge others. Because we're in this together. We're interconnected. We are not merely a gathering of individual believers, but a family. Loving, growing, serving, and sharing together. Get your puzzle piece back out, if you will. This is you. There's nobody else in this room shaped like you. There's no one else in this room who's just like you. But some company in China did this. Stamped it out of a picture. God made you. And he gifted you, and he shaped you like no one else here. You are a perfect fit. If no one's told you you're perfect today, let me be the first one. You are a perfect fit for the big picture that God is painting, the masterpiece that God is painting. And if you have never considered church membership as something that's important to you, then I want to call upon you with every fiber of my being to take a step to say this is where God is calling me. I know I'm supposed to be connected and I'm going to take that step today. I'm no longer content to be an individual puzzle piece. I want to be a part of the bigger thing that God is doing and I believe it's here. Now I want to tell you, if it's not here, then I want to encourage you to find out where it is. And when you find out, to plug in. Sometimes it takes a little while, sometimes it doesn't. When Nancy and I moved to Texas, we visited a church on Sunday morning. By, by the time lunch was finished, we knew that's where God wanted us. On Sunday night during the service, we joined. Not everybody does it quite that quickly. But if God is leading you to connect, why are you, why are you not connecting? If God is leading you to belong, why are you not belonging? This is not to lay a guilt trip on you. I just want to help you to understand that Grace Fellowship is not a perfect church, but the local church is part of God's perfect plan for you. 
And I want to encourage you to consider this morning very seriously if God would have you to be a part of the life of our church. What does it mean to be a part of Grace Fellowship? First of all, it means that you believe in Jesus Christ. And if you've never made a public profession of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, then there is no better time than today to step forward and say, I believe in Jesus. Why? Because you need to be a part of a family that can encourage that that commitment. Let me share something with you. The young man whose funeral I will officiate on on Tuesday made a commitment to Jesus Christ in a worship service here. But he only shared it with his mom. Now, I am so grateful that it happened. But how might his life and his family have been different had he taken that step to say, I believe in Jesus and now I want to belong to his body. If you've believed, it's time to take a stand for Jesus Christ and be a part of the body of Christ. If you've been a Christian for a while, maybe you've been visiting Grace Fellowship for a while, and you know this is probably where God wants you, I want to encourage you, consider plugging your piece in to God's bigger picture. Or maybe this morning, maybe God has really been convicting you. Maybe that puzzle piece in your hand has just been burning a hole in your hand because you've recognized that even though you've believed and you've connected by becoming a member, you really haven't plugged in at all. It's never been a part of, for you about being a part of what God's doing. It's, for you, it's been about attending, having your name on the roll, a place to come on Sunday mornings. But God's calling you to do so much more than that. He's calling you to be a perfect fit in His body and to begin to function as part of that body. Real simple request for you this morning. If God's speaking to you, respond. I can't tell you how many times somebody goes out on Sunday morning and said, you know what, I really felt like I, were, uh, I should have come forward and prayed, but I didn't. I really felt like I should have come up and said this, but I didn't. I don't want to hear that this morning. If God's speaking to you, respond. You may need to come forward with your puzzle piece and say, today I need to become a part of the body of Christ. If so, don't let anything stop you.